Mark. As you're turning in your Bibles to John chapter 6, I also want to invite you to fill out the attendance pad that you'll find on each row. And then after you filled it out, if you would pass it back down uh, the row, that would be fantastic. Also, if you have a prayer request, please include those there as well. John chapter 6, we are returning to our Gospel of John series that we started. That title is, That You Might Believe. And we've learned um, from the very beginning in John's Gospel that he has a very clear agenda. There's There's no mystery to it. When you turn to the end of the book, John says very clearly in John chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is John's agenda. is not just to show you the miracles that Jesus has done, not to wow you with his teaching and his love for the least of these, but to convince us that actually Jesus is God in the flesh. Fully God and fully man. So um, I had a chance when I was uh, in college, I joined a fraternity. And you're going to hear a number of fraternity stories through the years, lots of memories. And I want to tell you about a guy that I met named Forrest. Um, Forrest played um, on the golf team at Samford, where I went to undergraduate. He did Samford, even though it's teeny tiny, is a Division I school. And uh, at one time, Forrest actually had some of the lowest par three scores in the entire NCAAs for a few months. And Forrest said, hey, Justin, I'm going to take you out to the driving range with me. I said, sure. And look, I've been around golf before. I'm no good, I assure you. But I watch golf. I've had friends that play golf. Uh, You know, even tried it. But I'm telling you, when I sat or I stood next to Forrest and watched him hit a golf ball, I've never heard a golf ball make that sound before. I've never seen a more beautiful trajectory of that ball coming right off that club, perfect line, 300 plus yards right down the middle. And he makes it look so easy. The ball is teed up and it's like everything's in slow motion. He just crushes it perfectly. Well, in our passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus has the appearance of a dream ministry scenario. Everything is teed up on the golf tee. Jesus, all you got to do now is knock it right down the middle of the fairway. The stage is set. Everything is perfect. There are thousands of people showing up to learn about you, Jesus. There's a buzz. Big numbers. They're curious about wanting to follow Jesus. Now is your time, Jesus. Knock it down the middle of the fairway. You know what's interesting? If you actually have taken the time to study some of Jesus' words, they can be very confounding. And Jesus oftentimes does things that make us scratch our heads. Like a person that you would want to come to your church would come and ask Jesus a question And he puts a question right back at them and kind of makes things a little awkward, a little bit nervous. Sometimes he actually responds to people's questions and curiosity with harshness, with terseness, with directness. 
and he'll respond with a probing question. Jesus looks at this ideal ministry scene and he asks questions that get below the surface. And I'm just going to warn all of us this morning, his words might be particularly challenging for those of us who have been around the church for a while, who've been around the Bible for a while. Be prepared. This is God's word, John chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15, and then I'm going to skip down to 25 through 40. So if you have your Bible, why don't you open them up, open up your Bible and follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, we have it printed in the bulletin for you. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, that's important, guys, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, who was one of his disciples, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 men in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now skip down to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. 
And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Will you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this account, this true story of Jesus providing miraculously for a group of people that are desperately hungry and curious about who Jesus is. Lord, I pray that you would already, by your Spirit, be preparing our hearts to be challenged by Jesus' words to us, and that our hearts would also be comforted and healed by the balm of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we moved here in mid-August, and um, we have found a dangerous place in Lexington. I know many of you know about this place. It's called Cookout. And if you've noticed on the sign, it's very dangerous. They have 99-cent milkshakes, and each week they highlight a particular variety. This is very dangerous. And uh, there have been many a meal in the Clement household, I will not name specific names, that where Elizabeth has prepared an elaborate feast and the children have eaten till their stomachs are full. And then suddenly they disappear and they go to this dangerous establishment called Cookout to get their 99 cent milkshakes. And they come home and I ask the question, how in the world can you still be hungry? I mean, come on. How is this possible? You just ate 30 minutes ago. And yet, of course, we know we've all been in that position before when I had a metabolism. Um, but we also know that behind that humor and behind that reality of hunger, all of us have come into this place with hungers as well. We dare not sort of point our finger and say, how could those children be? Because our hearts are the same way on weightier matters as well. Maybe some of you have even said to yourself, I, God, I am so hungry for a better job. I will do whatever it takes. I'm so hungry for someone to pay attention to me. I know that will fill me. I am so hungry to get married. I am so hungry to have grandkids one day. I am so hungry to finish this job and to retire and to have a little bit of breathing room. I am so hungry. And you know what? Maybe for many of you here, he, he provided that for you. He provided that spouse. He provided grandchildren. He provided this career, this life. And now you sit here this morning as I do or as I stand here and I realize I have forgotten all about those amazing ways that he's provided. Almost to the point that it's embarrassing. We are all here and we are still so hungry. And here we have this picture. I want you to imagine Foster Stadium at VMI. Many of you have been to this football stadium. The stadium holds 10,000 people. 
The text says that Jesus fed 5,000 men. Very conservative estimates would say we're talking about 10 to 15,000 people, men, women, babies, and children. I want you to imagine Jesus standing before every single seat being filled in Foster Stadium. Overflowing. The captive audience. They're hungry. They're on the edge of their seat. What does Jesus want them to grasp about who he is and why he has come? And what does Jesus want us this morning to be reminded of as well? I want us to first look and see that Jesus sees below the surface. Jesus sees below the surface. You know, they say that when you look at an iceberg, 90% of the iceberg you can't actually see. This miracle is recorded in all four Gospels, and only John gives all of this additional follow-up and commentary and explanation. What do we actually see on the surface of what Jesus is doing in this miracle? What do we see? Well, it's very encouraging. Look at verse 2. There's a very large crowd, John says. Specifically in verse 10, he says there's 5,000 men. Again, we're talking about 10 to 20,000 people. Somewhere in that window. Really big. Great stuff. Right? Did you catch what the people were saying in verse 14? This is the prophet who's come into the world. So you've got lots of people saying really good Bible things. Good things, good answers, lots of people. What do they want to do with Jesus? Look at verse 15. I honestly missed this before I did my preparations for this sermon. Read it. What does it say? Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Wait, isn't that a good thing? Don't we celebrate that Jesus is the king? How could that be a bad thing? Lots of people saying Bible verse good things, wanting to make Jesus their king. That's what we see on the surface. Well, what time of year was this again? Passover. What is Passover? Uh, I want you to imagine Passover is like a combination of the 4th of July and Christmas all wrapped in together. It was the high feast day for God's people. It was the spiritual declaration of independence from Egypt that God provided for his people. Where he miraculously rescued his people through the Passover lamb. And then as they were heading out of Egypt and they're running right against the, a, a water, a body of water. And they had nowhere to go and there's all these people. What does God do? He provides and he separates the water. He rescues them. They go through on dry land. They get through and then they turn around and look behind them. And the Egyptian army is behind them in the water. And then God brings the water, slamming it down on them, bringing justice to his enemies. Don't you think that would have gotten your attention? God provided miraculously for his people. He rescued them from their enemies. And every year, God's people would rehearse and remind themselves of who the victor truly was. Why does that matter? Because you've got 15,000 people gathered together wanting to make Jesus king, getting really fired up, or we would say on fire for Jesus. 
a lot of good things happening on the surface, right? What could be wrong with that? A VMI stadium full, they're following the right guy, they're giving the right answers. There's even some emotion and passion behind what they're doing. On the surface, this is ministry success. Interested people, giving Jesus answers, lots of people. So the moral of the story and the end of this sermon is this. I want you to go out and go do that. Let's close in prayer. No, that's only what we see on the surface. Crowds of people. I want you to imagine instead the most powerful x-ray on the planet that has the ability to right now look at all of your motivations. What really drives you. Why you do what you do. What really makes me tick. Jesus has an infinitely powerful x-ray on our motives and our agendas. He can see when we do all the outwardly right things for all the wrong reasons. And by the way, that's obviously better than doing nothing. But he wants more. He doesn't just want the right behavior and the right words. He wants to have every fiber of our humanity. He wants us to be gripped by who he is. What feast were they celebrating again? Passover. Rescue. God's people being miraculously plucked out of slavery. And they had no ability to change their situation. God miraculously rescued them. And all they could do was burst out into song and dance. And they are celebrating glory to God. And then only one chapter later. God's people are grumbling and saying, why don't you provide food for me? Have you sent us out here to die? Don't you care about me? I'll be honest with you. When I was putting this sermon together, this was deeply convicting to me. This is a dangerous passage for someone like me who's been a Christian for a really long time and is and supposed to know a lot about the Bible. I was cut deep for how often I can be so forgetful of who God is and what he has done in my life and so quickly grumble and complain and demand things from God. It was very, very difficult in God's timing. On the surface, there's success, there's singing, there's gratitude. And yet, under the surface, for God's people in the wilderness, there's grumbling and rejecting and faithlessness. What were they missing? How do we respond when the things that we are expecting Jesus to do in our lives don't come to fruition? Maybe a internal conversation goes like this. I've been following you like crazy, Jesus, for decades. Why haven't you taken this thing away from me? Jesus, I've been following you my whole life. Why haven't you brought this thing into my life? Have you not heard my prayers? Why are we here this morning, friends? Why do you go to a small group 
on Sunday nights or Tuesday nights? Why do you go to youth group? Why are you here this morning? Why are you serving as an officer in this church? Why do you help? What do you want? Jesus is asking us. What do you really want? What is your soul hungry for? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be a better person? Do you want to have more friends? Is that why you're here? Do you want to be relieved? Jesus, I will follow you so that you give me friends, so that you give me what I want, so that you give me comfort, so that you give me inspiration, so that you give me good kids. I confess to you, sometimes those thoughts have gone through my head. As we peel back the layers of the onion, we see that it is very easy to do moral, ethical, Christian activities and actually not follow Jesus Christ. And that is the challenge and the hard words for all of us. And for many years as a believer, I was very good at this, I confess to you. I was coming out for the bread that Jesus was offering, but I wasn't coming out for the bread giver. I was coming out for the benefits. I have been guilty of following Jesus for his benefits of justification and sanctification and a new life in Christ, but not as an end in himself for who he is. I think we call that a transactional relationship, friends, do we not? We know what it's like to be used in relationships. I will follow you. Now give me some bread. The crowds were following Jesus and they were not following Jesus. Where does that leave us, Justin? If Jesus has this x-ray for all of our motives, he's not going to like what he sees in my heart. Absolutely. That's actually the first step is being honest and coming clean and, and stop playing games with God because he already knows where our heart is. And so we not only see that Jesus really sees what's below the surface. Secondly, I want us to see that Jesus shows compassion for our hungers. Jesus shows compassion. Jesus cares about the needs of real human beings. The thirsty Samaritan woman from John chapter 4. The crippled man in John chapter 5 who had been there for 37 years. The hungry people in John 6. Look at verses 5 to 11. These people, this stadium full of people had as much as they wanted. Had more than enough. And God shows compassion for his people. That means that God would delight to give you compassion this morning for what you are bringing into this room. As John has reminded us, this is a season of celebration. But I also know that for many of you, this is the hardest week of the year. And you're lonely. And it's hard. And it's difficult. And I want you to hear that Jesus cares for you and what you are experiencing this morning. If you have been depressed or lonely this Christmas, he has compassion for you. Have you been hurt financially by COVID? 
in really small ways or really, really big ways, God is not so busy that he doesn't care about that. He has compassion for that. Do you feel exhausted this morning spiritually, emotionally, maybe even physically? You can't even, you're so thankful just to be in this room with God's people. I want you to know that Jesus has compassion for you. This is why God actually created the office of deacon in Acts chapter 6. It is an office of mercy and compassion. He cares about the surface hungers that you have. And he cares about what is below the surface of the iceberg as well. And let's just be honest. We all have a lot below the iceberg, below the surface this morning. He has compassion for our spiritual vitality. Look at verse 31. Jesus says that he is the bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. Look at verses 33 through 35. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 38, listen to how he finishes. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes, pause, everyone. Maybe this morning you have never looked to the bread of life. You've been playing church. You've been playing Presbyterianism. You've been playing good old Virginia, good old boy, and you have not actually been looking to Jesus. Today could be the day that you just look. You look to Jesus as the one that will truly satisfy you. God took on human skin and moved onto our street. That's what we are celebrating. You know the old song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. I always wondered, what does this song mean? That's because for a long time, the early church realized that the incarnation was so important. We needed 12 days to celebrate the mystery that God took on human skin and moved onto our street. We're celebrating the fact that God is with us. He lived that life of love and holiness that all of us were called to live, but we failed. Jesus willingly died on the cross of Calvary. Paying the penalty for our sin. The Father willingly gave us credit for the life of righteousness that Jesus lived. And now every Christian is robed in the righteous life of Christ. The Father has adopted us into his family forever. For all of eternity. And he relates to you as a son or daughter of the King. He has sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of every Christian, giving us new life and reminding us that it is true, I will not leave you and I will never forsake you. All of these wonderful gifts. What is Jesus saying in John chapter 6? Follow me for who I am. I am not a cosmic vending machine as someone once said I couldn't remember who it was 
I'm not a cosmic vending machine doling out comfort and good feelings and the life you've always dreamed of. Follow me for who I am because I'm worthy of that. I am the bread of life. I am the gift as an end in himself. Look, these are difficult words. If, if you don't find these words difficult, I want to invite you to go back over the text this afternoon because they're supposed to be challenging. There's a sharp edge to it. But you know what? It gets even more difficult. Because I was reading, uh, I didn't want to read 65 verses to you before the sermon. I decided to cut out some. But listen to what verse 60, uh, excuse me, verse 51 to 53 says. Unless you eat my flesh, that's Jesus talking, and drink my blood, you have no life in me. Uh, Jesus, do you understand? You can imagine the people around. Jesus, you have a lot of people here listening. Okay, there's some people in the synagogue listening. Why do you make things so strange and cryptic? They want to follow you. You got a big crowd. Things are happening. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And he makes it even more difficult when he says in verse 66, after hearing this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus was known to have difficult words, was he not? Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Fear him who has power to cast into hell. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. These are hard words. And Jesus is giving us these hard words this morning, friends, to uncover in all of our hearts. Are we following Jesus for the benefits he can give to us? Or are we following Jesus because he is worthy of our following? Because he is God in the flesh. Will we follow the benefactor or only the benefits he gives us? And I, I want to lay this before you because I know some of us here this morning, some of you here are not Christians. And this is important for you to wrestle with. It's historically called the cost of discipleship. I don't want you to think that you can just follow Jesus and you're going to have a great life. If you follow Jesus, it will be a hard life. It will be. It will be a daily crucifixion of dying to your will, dying to your agenda, to serve others. But it will be worth every single step. What I don't want you to do is say, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian. Yeah, that sounds great. Do you know what that will cost you? Taking up your cross and following him every single day. But in that dying, you will actually find life. We all need these challenges, every single one of us. And yet some of us have been around for a while. And have we looked below the surface? Is it possible in a room like this that someone in this room, you have been so busy with Christian programs you have gone to every teaching fellowship at Grace. You have been at every Sunday worship service. Maybe you were a charter member of this church, but you are exhausted with Christian programs, but you're not actually following Jesus. One historian called that the Christless, Christless Christianity. That is really difficult, bad news. But when you 
face that bad news and say, I may have to get that x-ray and look at my heart, then now we're ready for the good news is that Jesus died for forgetful, grumbling preachers like me who will preach a sermon on patience and kindness and then come home and be unkind and impatient toward my children. Because I forget before I pull out of this driveway where true life is found and I hunger after comfort and control in my own world and I need to be reminded just like you this morning that we follow Jesus as the benefactor, not the benefits that he brings to us. So the good news is that Jesus died for forgetful people like us. And as John has laid out for every single example in in this book, look to him. Just simply look to him. Look to the son of man. Look to the one who brings life. You know, it could be really relieving for you to walk out of here and be able to tell a spouse or a sibling or maybe a, a parent, hey, I'm not a Christian, but at least I can be honest about it now. I've just been playing religion. But now you can be honest and say, I know what it will cost me and I will really face that and I will really consider laying everything down because Jesus loves us so much. He loves sinful, sorrowful, hurting people so much. He came and entered this world to rescue us, laying down his life to bring us hope and life and joy. Will you please look to the bread of life? Have you ever wondered why we have sermons every week? Have you ever wondered why we have communion and baptism very regularly? Because we need to remind each other, eat the bread. I promise that I will try my hardest to remind you. But will you remind me to eat the bread as well? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you came down as the bread of life. Even in the face of grumbling and complaining, you are that true manna that is prefigured in the wilderness wanderings. Lord, I pray that we would be sobered by your challenging words to us. But even more, I pray that we might be stunned by your grace and mercy. That you would love us even though we tend to ask the question, what's in it for me? Lord, have mercy on us. Oh, that you might transform this little community of believers here into be a people of gratitude and generosity and patience. That would be a supernatural miracle. But we know that your Holy Spirit can do anything. Start with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand for the doxology? may be seated. 
Let me just pray for our tithes and our offerings. We're so generous, or we're so grateful for all of your generosity in 2021. And this session is so excited about what God is going to do in 2022 through your labors and through your abilities. Let's pray for the Lord to use his tithes and our offerings. If you would like to give, you're welcome to give in the uh, commons area or you can give online. Dear Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship you, we know that how we consider our time and our money is easily the greatest window into where our true heart and where our true hungers are. Forgive us for the ways that we have invested in the world that is falling apart and that will not last to eternity. Lord, dig your gospel deep down into our hearts, the good news of Jesus, that we might invest in the kingdom that will never, ever fail. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.